Lord, we do thank you that your blood never fails. We thank you, Lord, that we are forgiven. That one drop of your blood paid for the price of all the sins of all of mankind. Lord, we thank you that you have redeemed us. You've purchased us back into your family, restoring sinful man back to holy God. Lord, we can't thank you enough. Lord, I pray as we go to your word right now, may you be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Turning your Bibles to Joshua chapter 12, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. I want to say again, men's retreat, February 17th and 19th, there's actually 250 total spots, but I think Calvary San Jose said they're going to take about 80 of them, and the rest of it's first come, first serve, and I want to encourage you that Pastor Tim Brown's going to stay for Sunday morning. I would encourage you to stay the entire time if you can. And, on the, and because it's close, sometimes you think, well, it's so close, I'm just going to go for half of it. I think you get, you get half of what God has for you if you go up there for half of it. Amen? So be praying about it. I want to encourage you. I've, already, I've signed up. I'm going. I'm looking forward to it. It's just a great time of, of prayer, worship, being taught from the Word, being encouraged in our faith. And wives, encourage your husbands to go home, come back a better man. Amen? All right. Well, we're going to try to do something tonight that we've never done in the five plus years we've had a church. I'm going to try to teach two chapters. We'll see if this happens or not, all right? All right. So I've titled the message tonight, Living, Out, Living on the Outskirts of Faith. As we have seen throughout our journey through the, with the children of Israel through their deliverance from bondage as they were enslaved in Egypt, after being backed into a corner in seemingly impossible circumstances at the Red Sea, with the Egyptian army bearing down on them, and the, the ease in which they returned to idolatry at Mount Sinai with the golden calf, their faithless response to God's promises when they refused to enter into the land of promise out of the fear of the giants in the land, how the entire generation died in the wilderness, eating dust, murmuring, never entering into all that God had for them, how Moses prepared the next generation Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law to replace the one that died in the wilderness. How even Moses, this great and godly man, would not enter in because he misrepresented God to the people. In anger, he smote the rock when he was to speak to the rock, which defiled or destroyed the the type or the picture of Christ who was once beaten. Amen? And sins were paid for. That's why we don't have Jesus hanging on any crosses anymore. Amen? Amen? He is a risen and a living Savior. But even he was unable to enter in because he exhibited anger by smoting the rock. Then Joshua took his place. Joshua, a type or a picture of Jesus. His name is Yahshua, right? Which in the English version of, of the Greek is Jesus. And so we know that Moses could not bring them into the land of promise. Only Yahshua could, Jesus could. Because the law cannot bring us salvation, only Jesus can. And he led them into this land flowing with milk and honey. But as we've seen the last few weeks, that land was not free of enemies and struggles. Guys, even when you're on fire for God, walking in the center of his will, you will face adversity. And you know what? The more on fire you are and the more God's using your life, get ready and hold on. Because you know what? In the midst of the times when God's using you in the most mighty way is when the enemy wants to shut you down the most. While at first glance, these may appear to be, again, more, nothing more than historical Every single thing in the Old Testament that we see is pointing to a New Testament principle. Old Testament pictures point to New Testament principles. 
So when you see something in the Old Testament, it reveals a truth that will be revealed later in the New Testament. And again, each of them have a very clear application for you and I today. We talked about Egypt being a picture of the world, the Egyptian army in possible circumstances, Passover being a picture of the cross, the Red Sea being a picture of water baptism, again, that public confession of an inward change, the golden calf being a picture of how we can so easily return to the world once we've been saved. Anybody else ever struggle with that after salvation? Amen? We, make, we mock them with the golden calf, but we've got golden calves of our own. Rather than waiting upon the Lord, 40 days up on the mountain, and they ran back to their old way of life. We're so impatient when it comes to God, and I'm so glad He is so patient with us. Amen? And so the giants in the land, they ran away because of them. A picture for us of walking in the Spirit-filled life, but again, fleeing from the difficulties in our life. The Jordan River, as we've talked about, a picture of that Spirit-filled life, entering into all that God has for us, but knowing again that when we get there, that there will still be enemies waiting. Now here's the good news, you guys. As you're walking in the center of God's will, filled with the Spirit of the living God, and you face difficulty, you're not facing them alone. The Lord is with you. As they went into the land of promise, Joshua was leading the way. When we go into spiritual battles, we fight from victory, not for victory. The battle's already been won. The battle belongs to the Lord, and He who is in me is greater than he that is in the world. So as we come to tonight's text, we're once again going to address what I believe to be one of the greatest reasons that so many Christians today continue to live carnal and worldly lives, struggle to know God's will for their life, and are ineffective in sharing their faith. Let me say that again. I believe that this, as we're going to see tonight in tonight's text, we're going to once again address what I believe is the greatest reason that so many Christians continue to live carnal and worldly lives, struggle to know God's will for their own life, and are ineffective in sharing their faith. And I believe the main source of this struggle is a lack of intimacy with Almighty God. It's a lack of the spirit of the living God ruling and reigning in our lives. Not just knowing about a faraway distant God, but having intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. Man, I want more of that. How about you? And I believe that's the main reason we struggle with carnality. is because our fire has gone out. Because it's been doused by the, the things of this world. And you know what? We need to stoke up and light the fire again. Amen? We need to be filled to overflowing with the spirit of the living God. We need to know Him when, with intimacy. I need to know him better than I know my wife, than I know my children, than I know you. He should be the best friend that you have. The Holy Spirit not just in us, but upon us in a mighty and a powerful way. Too many Christians today are satisfied with the knowledge that they're going to heaven. And you know what? Praise God for that. Amen? And that's where it starts. But that is not the ending point. That's the beginning point. Too often today we think we're trying to reach and make converts, but nowhere in the Bible do you see a calling to do that. We're called to make disciples, not converts. It's not just to get out of hell free card and living like the world, amen? It's becoming a new creation in Christ, being transformed and living different than the world for the rest of your life, having an impact on the world that so desperately needs Jesus. Why is that happening? Why is the struggle there? Why are people content because of a lack of intimacy with Almighty God. May we fall more in love with the Lord than we ever have before. We've been delivered, many, but wandering aimlessly. Dryness, lacking fruitfulness, lacking clear direction, following the world instead of being led by the Spirit. Tonight's text, I believe, addresses that. May none of us leave here living on the outskirts of faith anymore. May we not be content seeing God from a distance, 
But may we desire to call him Abba Father and crawl up in his lap and know him in an intimate way like never before. Amen? And I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm just telling you right up front, okay? Before we leave here tonight, I'm going to give every one of you an opportunity to pray to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We need that, amen? We leak. We need it. We need more of it, right? Not just the Spirit with us or in us, but upon us in a mighty and a powerful way. If we want to reach Santa Cruz, Holy Cross for Jesus Christ, we better be filled with the Spirit of the living God. Amen? And God wants to do a work and let us be a part of it. So in tonight's text, we're going to address the very applicable truths to each of our lives today as we review the kings and the battles that are won both by Moses and by Joshua and the inheritance that the 12 tribes found. If you're a note taker, some quick points. One, we fight from victory. We fight from victory. Living on the outskirts of faith, we as believers fight from victory. We're then going to see the kings conquered by Moses. Then we're going to see the kings conquered by Joshua. And we'll talk about the significance behind that. And then we'll talk about why people are spiritually dry. The two and a half tribes that are willing to be out on the outskirts rather than pressing into the kingdom. This is an epidemic in the church today. A a joy and a happiness in the world when it should not be so. And we're going to see that. We're going to look at the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So let's begin. We're going to look at the last verse. So actually, three chapters tonight, really. Because I'm looking at the last verse of the previous chapter. Never done this in my life. I may not after tonight either. so. So let's begin in verse 23 of chapter 11. Living on the outskirts of faith. So Joshua took the whole land according to all the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Now remember, we talked about this last week. Joshua took the land, he won the battle, and the land was at rest. But while he took the land, not every town and village had been conquered and occupied. He had defeated all the kings. The kings had been torn down. But there were still pockets of rebellion. Guess what? Jesus has won the battle. It is finished. Amen? To Talistai, it's finished. The battle's been won. But there's still pockets of our flesh that we got to take care of. Amen? We're new creations in Christ. We're born again. We're going to heaven. But there's still part of the enemy that wants to attack us and get our eyes off of Jesus. Up to the, every individual tribe now to go into the land they inherited. And note they inherited it. They didn't win it. They didn't earn it. Salvation's a free gift, amen? If we had to earn it, it would be a paycheck, not a free gift. And so they didn't earn it. They didn't, it wasn't booty from war. It was an inheritance given freely by God. And for you and I, Jesus has done His part. He's conquered the enemy, and it's time for you and I to respond. Because though we are heaven-bound and Satan's been defeated, there's still the battles that we fight every day. And remember again, we fight, fight from victory, not for victory. Verse 1. These are the kings of the land who the children of Israel defeated, and whose land they possess on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon and all of eastern Jordan Plain. Now, the kings conquered by Moses. Moses did not enter into the land of promise. So the kings that Moses battled were the ones still on the east side of the Jordan River. Now, there were great battles along the way. And as they came in, the first battles they fought, were, there was two major battles, they fought east of the Jordan, and each of them were fighting against giants. Now, why did they not go into the land initially? Because there were what? 
giants in the land. Guys, if we don't head, face head-on the struggles of, in our walk, we're just going to visit them later. Amen? We need to go before the throne of grace and say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. Without you, I can do nothing. Lord, I'm not going to try to ignore it and pretend like it's going to go away. Lord, I'm going to be open. I'm going to confess it to you. I may confess it to a brother or sister in the Lord. I'm going to bring it out into the light before you, Lord. I'm going to ask for your help. Because if we don't, we'll deal with it later. They ran from the giants before. The first enemy they fight on their way to Jordan are the giants yet again. And there are giants in the land, but we need not be afraid. Amen? Because he brought us out to bring us into the promised land. And the giants on the outskirts, while key and necessary, again, are not the final destination. Important that we remember that. Not the final destination. The final destination is further into Jordan where God had for them. Now, let's take a look at these giants briefly. And this, from Numbers 23, if you want to look at it later, gives a better detail into the battle. I'll fill some of those in here as we look at this. One king was Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half Gilead from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of that river, even as far as the river Jabbok, which is the border of the Ammonites, and the eastern Jordan plain from the Sea of Chenareth. You guys were here on Sunday. Sea of Chenareth, where is that? Sea of what? Galilee. Galilee. Very good. Bonus points. As far as the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, that's the Dead Sea, and the road to beth Jemeth, southward below the slopes of Pisgah. Now, the Amorites were located on the west shore of the Dead Sea, and it was Noah's son Ham that they were descendants of. Okay, so the descendants of Ham. The Amorite word, Amorite means bitterness or rebellion. And guess what? That's exactly the kind of people they were. And as born-again Christians, we're going to face these same enemies. As we walk in the Spirit, we can have victory over them. The Amorites, in God's eyes, were a wicked people that He had already promised that He would bring victory over. Now, the previous people saw the size of the enemy and didn't care what God's promise was and ran away. And this is why it's so key that you and I be in God's Word every single day. Because if we don't spend time in God's Word, we're going to run away every time we face an enemy. But if we stand on the promises and the truth of His Word... And remember again, the greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You and I have nothing to fear. Israel made a simple request to the Amorites. They said, let us just pass through your land. And they would not have it. Sihon, king of the Amorites, would not heed Israel's request. And God allowed them to attack the Amorites. It was all part of God's plan. Now, as they attacked them, as the attack came, it was God's plan for them to possess the land. The Bible tells us to count it all joy, my brethren, when we fall into various trials. And sometimes we don't understand. You know, we simply ask kindly, nicely, to be able to be let through, and the enemy attacks. And that's exactly what happened here. But we need to learn to trust in God's faithfulness, that He indeed is in control. According to Numbers 23, how did they defeat the Amorites? They used the sword. The sword is always in the Bible a representation of what? God's Word. So how do you and I have victory over rebellion and wickedness, the Amorites in our life? How do we have victory? Through the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, what, what did Jesus answer Satan's temptations with? The Word of God every single time. And He is the Word. Amen? Amen? And He still answered them from the Word. So you and I need to do the same. How, how can you and I walk in victory over bitterness, rebellion, and temptation? By being in the Word. The Word of God transforms lives. Verse 4. The other king was Og, king of Bashan and his territory, 
who was of the remnant of the giants who dwelt in Ashtaroth and Edri, and reigned over Mount Hermon, over Salca, over all Bashan, as far as the border of the Gersherites and the Machahites, and over half of Gilead, the border of Sion, king of Heshbon. These Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the tribe of Manasseh. Now, Og, was this guy was a stud from the world's perspective. He was the last of the giants. According to archaeological finds, he was buried in a sarcophagus 13 and a half feet long and 6 feet wide. How big was this guy? This guy was huge. He ruled over 60 cities. He was a man of war, and he was a man who was really good at it. Had a lot of victories under his belt. He was the very reason, more than likely, that Israel had fled 40 years earlier, and God brings them right back to the same enemy. We've got to remember that they walked around Jericho later, and he would allow them to see the greatness of their enemy so they could understand the greatness of their God. Guys, when we see the greatness of our enemy, the greatness of the cancer we're facing, the greatness of the financial difficulties, the greatness of whatever we're going through gives us a chance to see the greatness of our God when he comes through. Amen? If all we ever dealt with was a, a sniffle, we never get to see the greatness of God. Amen? Our God's really good at healing colds. Right? I had to, God, I had to pray or drink some OJ, right? I mean, we, we, our God's greater than that. Amen? And we need to learn and allow and watch God work through the greatness of the difficulties that we face. The very reason they had fled 40 years earlier is now before them again. And the Lord encourages Israel through Moses not to to fear. In Numbers, he tells them, I have delivered him into your hand. Not I will deliver him, I have delivered him into your hand. When God says it, it's already done. And this time, unlike 40 years earlier, they heeded God's word and they were victorious and they had a victory over what they had feared the most. And that victory came through obedience to God's word. Guys, when we obey God's word, get out of the way and watch what God's going to do. We don't obey so God will love us. He already does. But you know what? Because he loves us, he knows what's best for us and we should learn to trust in his word and obey him because we know that God knows what's best. He loves me. He knows what's best for me. He's given me his word. I want to follow him and obey him out of love for him and honor for him. Verse 6 says, These Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered. Moses had led them into victory. And at the request of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, he gave them the land to dwell in. Now, was that where they were supposed to dwell? Those you've been coming? He said, Go into where? The land of promise. To Canaan land. Now why did two and a half tribes decide to get right up to the border and just stay? You know why? I'll tell you why. Because from them it looked a lot easier just to stay where they were. It looked a lot easier because, you know what? This land is already lush. It's already green. The, the battle's already been won. The enemy's already been wiped out. Matter of fact, there's still a couple fortresses set up. We can just move right into them. We can put our cattle right here on the field. We won't have to cross over any more rivers. We won't have to fight any more battles. We can just rest right here. And you know there's a temptation in our flesh to do the same. To, to find where it's comfortable and hang out there. You know what? This is a self-centered focus. When we're willing to give up God's highest in pursuit of our own personal ease and comfort. 
The battle's been won. The land is good. The fortress is built. But instead of seeking the Lord and being led by the Spirit, they went to where it was most pleasing to the flesh. That's a warning for all of us. We need to make sure we hear from God, not from our flesh. Being led by the Spirit of the living God. Some clear applications. Often Christians today are moved by, none of you because you live here, so often are moved by cheap housing. I can't tell you, no, again, I've had so many people tell me, the Lord told me I was supposed to move to Arizona. Or they'll just say, I'm moving, why? Because houses are cheap. And you know what, the Lord could move you to Arizona, but you better make sure it's the Lord and not cheap housing that's moving you. Don't be moved by your circumstances, be led by the Holy Spirit, because if you're moved by your circumstances, you're going to be miserable. Because you're going to be outside of God's will and not doing what He's called you to do. Sometimes we get a job promotion and we automatically think that must be God. It may be. But you better pray first, amen, before you take that job promotion. The easiest and most comfortable path, the most pleasing one to the flesh, without seeking the Lord and His Word by His Spirit, will end in disaster. God may move you, but let the Holy Spirit move you, not your circumstances. Make sure that you're moved by the Lord and the leading of His Spirit. Those who are moved by the flesh will miss out on God's highest. Can I tell you that my greatest desire more and more every single day is just, Lord, use me. Just, Lord, use me. I, whatever you want to do with my life. I don't even care. Lord, I don't care where I live. I don't care what I drive. I don't care. Lord, I just want you to use me. Because you know what, guys? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? And nothing else is going to matter when we get to heaven. We're not going to be bummed out that we didn't have an extra bedroom. I would have been so much happier if I had an extra bedroom, right? The goal of every believer should be not just a convert on his way to heaven with a get-out-of-hell-free card, but a disciple who's learning, growing, and following the Lord with reckless abandon. Sold out. Man, we need some more of that. You know what? At salvation, it's the key, but it's not our final destination. God's not looking just for converts, but disciples. He said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Amen? He didn't say, follow me and I will make you really comfortable. (laughs) Follow me and you can just lay on the ground and I'll come back for you later. And often as Christians, we get saved and we think that's the command, but he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. People are going to hell every day without Jesus Christ and it ought to break our hearts. It ought to just grieve us. Every believer this side of heaven ought to be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. God, break our hearts again. Lord, help us to see people through your eyes. You know, I have a renewed passion for Santa Cruz. You know, I'd spend, and the Lord just gives me a greater passion over and over and over. And I, I pray that we as a church would have that passion and that burden for this county that so desperately needs Him. Living on the outskirts of faith. Kings conquered by Joshua. And it says, and these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel conquered on this side of the Jordan, on the west, from Baal Gad, in the valley of Lebanon, as far as Mount Halek, and the ascent of Seir, which Joshua gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their divisions, in the mountain country, in the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the south, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, these verses describe the land of Canaan. It's hills, it's mountains, it's fields, it's plains, Lebanon to the north, Seir to the south. This land of promise, this land flowing with milk and honey would be given to all who would enter in. 
That spirit-filled life is available to every believer who will enter in. God has so much He wants to do with us and in us. And again, this was not a reward they earned, but again, it was the grace of God that was giving them the land of promise. God has great things He wants to do in us. And again, the field is white for the harvest, but the laborers are few. And so He describes the land. And on the first side, two and a half tribes settled in the land outside of Jordan, outside of, again, the land of promise. And now he's describing the land where the other nine and a half tribes would be. A land that was flowing with milk and honey. The place that was the center of God's will. The place where, again, they would continue to find battles, but God would bring great victory. The the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, that list there, those are all the enemies that were waiting in the land for them. These are mighty armies. But our God's greater than any army. Amen? Now, verse 9 through 24 is just a list of names, and I'm going to read them. Let me tell you why. Because as we read them, it would be real easy for us to look at each one and just name a name and move on. But I want you to understand that every one of these was a battle. It might be real easy for me to read about you that you had cancer, you lost your job for a year, right? And go down a list, right? And you'd go, I had cancer. Let me explain that to you. This was a five-year process. I went into remission, right? We can just read it off like a list and act like it's no big deal, but for the children of Israel, every single one of these was a test of their faith. And every single one of them was an opportunity to run away in fear or to grow in the Lord. Every trial we go through is an opportunity to run away in fear or to grow in the Lord. And it says there, beginning in verse 9, the king of Jericho won. Remember the battle. They walked in, and the Lord told them, just march around the building. March around it. 24. 24 foot high walls, 20 feet wide. They're standing up there maybe with boiling oil and arrows. I don't know what they have, right? And I just want you to march around and not say a word. And then just just keep looking at how huge the walls are. And then the last day, I want you to march around seven times. This time, blow some trumpets. Now, the Lord literally appeared to Joshua to give him this plan because I don't think any other way anybody would have believed it. It says that Jesus showed up, told him, this is what I want you to do. And he said, okay, yes, Lord. And what happened? The walls came down. And you know what? Was that an opportunity to be afraid, an opportunity to run away? But it was an opportunity for great growth, because when the walls came down, they saw how great their God was. Amen? Then from there, they battled Ai. And I don't have time to go into it, but remember Ai that first they missed out because Achan, right? He was holding stuff back from Jericho, and Ai defeated them. They didn't wait upon the Lord. It says, which is beside Bethel. The king of Jerusalem won. The king of Hebron won. The king of Jarmuth won. The king of Lachish won. The king of Eglon won. The king of Gezer won. The king of Debir won. The king of Gader won. Now remember, these are all battles. We're reading it. It takes us a minute and a half. We're done. That wasn't so tough. For them, this was a battle, one battle after the next. And in all, I'm going to go ahead and skip down to the bottom. Listen to this. In all, there's 31 of them. One right after the other. 31. Maybe some of you felt like, man, I've been in 31 trials one right after another. I can, I can relate. I can't. But praise God that in the midst of one trial after another, instead of fleeing or running as the previous generation had, they kept their faith in the Lord, they continued on in the battle, and God grew them through it. Like the trials of our lives, the source of potential fear and retreat, or the source of potential growth and increased faith. The people that I know that have the greatest faith are the people that have been through the greatest difficulty. The Apostle Paul, nobody in this room has anything on that guy. 
You read the list, a day and night in the deep and sickness often and, you know, scourgings and beatings and stonings. He was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. I personally think he died. And God raised him up. You know what he did? He went right back into the city. Because later he talks about being caught up into the third heaven. I think what he saw in heaven was so good, he's like, man, you can't threaten me with that. I'm going right back in there. <laughs> they stoned me. I go back there. No problem. Let's bring it on, right? I mean, when you have a heavenly perspective, there's nothing in the world that can make you afraid. And that was Paul's perspective. Man, I'm going to heaven. I, you know, I'm headed there. And so until then, let's be busy about it. Let's make things happen. Let's make things change in this world that so desperately needs Jesus. Beginning with the mighty fortress of jo- Jericho, he brought each king and his kingdom down. And what's interesting to me is as they continue to grow in the, grow in the spirit-filled life, they wiped out 31 of the who's who's of the day. 31 kings. And you know what? We don't see one of their names in here. And that ought to be a lesson to every single one of us because the names are forgotten. They vanished into eternity. The names of the who's who's of the day got wiped out. And the same is true today. Those in the world that we idolize, industry leaders like Bill Gates and Donald Trump, athletes like Barry Bonds and Kobe Bryant, actors like Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston, musicians like the Rolling Stones and Eminem. You know what? If the Lord tarries, and He could, although I think He's coming soon, I don't know the day or the hour, I wouldn't predict it because that would make me a false prophet. I would never want to do that. But we need to be looking up, amen? Because He could come at any time. And let me say this, if the Lord tarries a few hundred years, everybody's going to forget who these guys were. Who? People that we are so in awe of, we respect so much. Oh, well, who cares? When we get to heaven, it won't matter. And again, these names are not even there. Just their kingdoms being wiped out one right after the other. None of their worldly accomplishments will do them any good on Judgment Day. Living on the outskirts of faith. Chapter 13. A second chapter. How about it? Man. Glory of the Lord. All right. Living on the outskirts of faith. Now we're going to see that the battle again has been won. Look what it says there. And And I love this, that Joshua had completed the first half of his commission. The first half of his commission found in Joshua 1 was that he was to go into the land and conquer all the enemies. And then it says, after you've done that, you need to give the inheritance to the people. Conquer the enemies and then give the inheritance. He has now conquered the enemies in chapters 1 through 12. And now chapters 13 on, 50 times the word inheritance is going to be used in the next nine chapters. The inheritance is going to be given to them in the land. God has something for them. He is now to fulfill that second part of the commission. And now they'll be able to enjoy what God had given them. The war had been won. God had an inheritance set aside for each tribe. And all they had to do was respond in obedient faith and receive their inheritance. Though the battle was won, they still had work to do. There was still the the mop-up operations. Like I said, the battle's been won by the Lord. You and I still enter battles every single day. But we fight from victory, not for victory. Again, been one at the cross. Positionally, where are we? We're in Christ. That's what the Bible says. You are holy and righteous right now. Did you know that? You are. Saints are not dead people that perform miracles that get, that are made saints by some pope. Amen? Who are the saints? All the believers. You're either a saint or an ain't, right? You've either been born again or you haven't. And if you're born again, you're a saint, a set apart one, one being sanctified unto God. That's who we are. And so we are holy, we are righteous in Him, but is there still so much more God wants to do in us? Absolutely. 
There's still the daily battles of putting the flesh to death every single day. The enemy's defeated, still attempting to wreak havoc, bringing about difficulty, trying to render us ineffective. Look what it says in verse, chapter 13, verse 1. And you, I love how God is so you know, clear with the frailties of man. Look what he says. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you're old and advanced in years. Thanks a lot. The Lord shows up and says, Joshua, you're old. And you're advanced in years. Be busy about it. you got no time left. Okay, Joshua? Wow. Dude, you're old. Time to get up, all right? Time to divide up the land. you got to finish. you got to hurry up and finish. Finish strong, Joshua. Pretty soon you're going to be with me, and that's a great thing. You know what? I, I look forward to getting old if the Lord tarries. Because it just means one year closer to Him. Amen? Another, oh, praise God. That much closer to eternity in His presence. You are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains. All the territory of the Philistines, all of the Geshurites from Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, the Ekronites, and all the Avites. From the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Mirah that belongs to the Sidonians as far as Aphek, to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebelites, and all of Lebanon toward the sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon as far as the entrance of Hamath, all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the brook Mishpareth and all of the Sidonians, them I drive out from before the children of Israel, only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. Now, the battle had been won, the victory had been won, and still the land needed to be possessed. They needed to go in and take the land. Go in and take the land. He's saying, look, I've won the battle. It's, it's been taken care of. Now I want you to go in and I'm going to tell you where you belong. And I want you to go in and possess that land and make it fruitful for my name. That's what God's called us to do. Amen? God has given us an inheritance. We're born again, new creations in Christ. And he's given us supernatural gifts that we might use them for his glory. God didn't save us to be pew potatoes. Amen? He didn't save us to be the biggest, fattest, best-fed sheep in town. God saved us that He might use us for His glory. The Dead Sea is dead because it's all inlet and no outlet. And so the, how do we have living water? Water flows not just in us, but through us to the world around us. And He's saying to them, look, I've won the battle. All this land needs to be taken. And so you need to cast lots. Joshua and divide up the land and send each of the tribes into the land and know when they get there that there still will be pockets of resistance. Though the kings have been wiped out, though I've won the battle, there will still be those who will be waiting there continuing to fight against you. Again, we've been individually gifted by God and if we love Him, we should use our gifts for His glory just as they should use the land for His glory. We should seek to cleanse out the the territory we live in completely, and the spiritual battle again has been won, and we're righteous in Him, we must put our flesh to death. 
So here's the land. He's telling them, okay, divide it up by lots. We're going to see them do that in coming chapters. Divide it up by lots. Give them their land and send them in to go in and finish conquering it. Verse 8. Now watch these two and a half tribes. This is sad. They're going to live on the outskirts of faith. Look at verse 8. With the other half tribe of the Reubenites, other half tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites, half tribe of Manasseh, received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them. From Arar, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Medaba, as far as Dibon, all the cities of Sihon, we saw him, the king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Amnon, Gilead, the border of Geshurites and Machathites, all Mount Hermon, all Bashan, all as far as Salka, all the kingdom of Og in Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and Edri, who remained of the remnant of the giants, for Moses had defeated and cast out these. Now Reuben and Gad settled and remained outside of the land. Again, why? Because it was lush, because it was green, because it was easy, because the fortresses were already there, because they would be able to prosper and face the least resistance. And again, this is a type of those who've been born again and are satisfied with what the world has to offer. May we never find our satisfaction in this world. May we never find our peace and our hope in this world. Because as you do, you're going to miss out on all that God has for you. And you know what happens, sadly? Because they camped outside of the land, they're camped closest to the world. They're camped closest to the enemy. They're camped closest and left without the protection of their brothers and sisters in Christ. For you and I today. But for the children of Israel in those days. And so they were encamped outside, and the result was, look at verse 13. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites and the Mahakathites. Because the Geshurites and Mahakathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Guess what happens when you're outside of the land of promise? Guess what happens when you're outside of the center of God's will? You start fellowshipping with the world. They allow these ungodly peoples that were to be wiped out to dwell with them. We start making compromises to be like the world. It's an epidemic in the church today. You hear me talk about it often, how the church is trying to be more like the world. And that's exactly the opposite of what we ought to be doing. Amen? Were people attracted to Jesus because he was like the world? He's just so much like us. That wasn't it at all. Amen? Who is this man? Let's go meet him. We need to be in the world but not of it and not be trying to copy the marketing tools of the world to share people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord doesn't need marketing tools. He is the marketing tool. Amen? We need to preach Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. And what happens was they started to instead get carried off with the world and started to fellowship with the world. And over time, you know what happened? They would be the first ones destroyed. When the Assyrians came in, guess who got wiped out and dragged away first? The two and a half tribes outside of Canaan. What happened to Gad? This cattle, this perfect grass, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but this perfect grass that was so great for raising cattle, later in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus comes to the place where they're dwelling and he casts demons into what? Pigs. 
their cattle turn to pigs. If you're a Jewish person, raising pigs is not good. You go from raising cattle to raising defiled animals. How did it happen? Compromise, being outside of God's will, staying where it was comfortable, mixing in with the world, and before you know it, they're raising pigs. They're raising dirty, unclean animals. And they're totally away from God. What happens to us when we don't press on and press in, but hang out at the back on the edges of our faith? This is what happens to us. Before we know it, we're being just like the world. Making excuses for our sin instead of being broken by it. We should be broken over our sin and not making excuses for it. Amen? Lord, forgive me. You've heard me say it many times. A sign of spiritual maturity is a distance in time between when we sin and when we repent. The more we grow with the Lord, the shorter and shorter that time ought to become. Amen? It ought to get to the point where it's nanoseconds. You haven't even said it, you're repenting, right? Uh, oh. Holy Spirit head slap, right? Oh, forgive me, Lord. Grace of God. Conviction is a good thing. It draws us back into fellowship with the Lord. Guys, we will be as close to God as we want to be. You want to go deeper in your faith? It's up to you, not to God. Because He's right there desiring to have intimate fellowship with you. If you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved, right? God's right there. He hasn't moved. He hasn't left. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He wants intimate fellowship with you. And so it's up to us to determine how close we are to God. People say, I'm not as close to God as I should. You're right. How's that going to change? It's up to you. Make a decision to draw closer unto Him, and He will draw near unto you. God won't take me one step deeper or one inch closer than I want to go. He won't force me to have intimacy with Him. He won't. He wants it more than anything, but He won't force it on me. Verse 14. Only the tribe of Levi, He had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as He said to them. The Levites were what tribe? The what tribe? The priestly tribe. And as the priestly tribe, they had no inheritance in the land, and I find that interesting. They had no diversion. They weren't raising any crops. They weren't worried about how big their land was. They weren't fighting with the other tribes about whose territory was whose. They said, you know what? Our lives belong to God completely. We're going to serve Him in the temple full time. And you know what? When we make the sacrifice, a portion of that will be given to us, and we will, that's how we'll survive. And our inheritance is the Lord. And that's all we want. I think the Levites were the most blessed of all the tribes because their inheritance was in something eternal. Guys, when our inheritance is in the eternal, we're the most blessed of all people. The Lord was both their inheritance and their source of provision. Now let's look at Reuben. We're going to look at the three tribes quickly. Verse 15 to 23. The land of Reuben. And Moses has given to the tribe of the children of Reuben an inheritance according to their families. Their territory was from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Medaba. Heshbon and all its cities that are in the plain, Dibon, Bamoth, Baal, Beth Baal, Maon, Jehaza, Kedamoth. How come no, you know, there's no Smithtown <laughs> anywhere in the Bible? Maphoth, Kerjothim, Sibna, Zerath, Shahar on the mountain of the valley. Beth Peor on the slopes of Pisgah, Beth Jemesh. Now, what are these cities? What am I telling you? This is, they have the southernmost portion of the, 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 the land inherited on the eastern side of the Jordan. And they had the southernmost portion of that land inherited and given to them. 
all the cities of the plain, all the kingdom of Sion, king of the Amorites, and reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses struck with the princes of Midian, Eva, Rechem, Zur, Hur, Reba, who were princes of Sihon dwelling in the country. Shows us again, it wasn't just one or two kings they destroyed, but many princes as well. We just named the kings, but the battles were even greater than that. So Reuben inherited the most southerly portion of this land. Again, a land outside of God's highest. Not the land flowing with milk and honey, but the land flowing with lush and green that would fulfill the needs of the flesh. And it's a temptation. Satan's not going to tempt you with dirt. He's going to tempt you with lush and green. And you know what, guys? Can I say this? We can often miss out on God's highest by pursuing what is good. We can pursue what is good and miss out on what is best. I want to encourage you. Don't settle for good. Desire the best. Lord, Lord, whatever the best you have for me, I want that. Nothing less than that. Sadly, Reuben and all of his, of his tribe missed out on the highest. Now look what it says in verse 22. This kills me. Because look what it says. The children of Israel also killed with the sword of Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer among those who were killed by them. Remember Balaam, if you guys were here when we were going through the story of Balaam, he was a prophet and he began to prophesy against Israel. How'd that work out? It didn't. He kept trying to curse and he couldn't curse them. God wouldn't let him. So then what he did instead was said, here's an idea, get some of your Mo- the Moabite women, send them down there, and then the guys will fall for the women, and then you can corrupt them that way. Well, that's exactly what happened. But guess what happened to Balaam? He was killed. Those who come against God are going to face the wrath of God. And I'll tell you what, I'm glad I'm on his side. How about you? Amen. You plus God is a majority, Right? doesn't matter who's against you, if God is for us, who can be against us. Now look what it says here. And the border of the children of Reuben was on the bank of the Jordan. Where was their border? It was on the bank of the Jordan. Man, so close and yet so far. They're living on the bank of the land of promise. They can look across the Jordan and there it is. There's God's highest for us. There's the land flowing with milk and honey. That's where God wants us to be, but I'm going to camp out right here. Tragic to be so close to God's highest and yet miss out because we're comfortable where we're at. I know that's a message for some of us tonight. Amen? Camping out so close to God's highest. I'm comfortable here. I have to do something a little different to get on that side. My feet might get wet or something. I'm just going to stay here. You know what Satan loves more than anything? A Christian that does nothing. The status quo. Luke, be hot or cold, if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Amen? God wants us to be hot for Him. And may we be on fire to the point that we're not satisfied with the status quo. Again, so close and yet so far. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben according to their families and the cities and their villages. The land of Gad, verse 24 to 28. Moses also given an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad, according to their families. Their territory was Jazer, all the cities of Gilead, and half the land of the Ammonites as far as Aror, which is before Reba. And from Heshbon to Ramoth, Mizpah, Bethamon, and from Mahanan, the border of Debir. And in the valley of Beth-Haram, Beth-Nimrah, Sukoth, and Zephon, the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, with the Jordan at its, as its border. Where's their border? 
Jordan River. Look what it says here. As far as the edge of the Sea of Chinnereth, the Sea of Chinnereth is where? Sea of Galilee. Again, Matthew 8. Those of you who go to Israel with us, we are going to stop at the foot of the mountain where Jesus in Matthew 8 cast the pigs, the, the demons, into the swine. And they all ran off and drowned themselves. And we're going to see the very spot that it says their land went to the Sea of Galilee. So where they once were grazing pigs, they're now are grazing cattle that will be herding pigs not many years away. And that's exactly what happens when we settle for less than God's highest. We miss out on all that God has for us. It would be along that same spot that they would turn and begin, instead of animals that could be sacrificed to the Lord, animals that were defiled in God's sight. Again, that which we're pursuing apart from God becomes empty in time. You know, pursuing cattle apart from God may have seemed great at the beginning, but in the end it ended up being pig farmers. And the same is true for us. We think we're pursuing something good. What we're really doing is pursuing something worldly, and in the end it's fruitless. Now let me say this. Let me make it real clear. I think it's okay for Christians to have money. It's okay. But you know what? You better not be pursuing money. You better be pursuing God. Amen? And if you're faithful to take His money in your hands and use it for His glory, He may entrust you with more. But we should not try to have some holy lottery with God. You know, I'm going to give so God will have to give, then He'll owe me. And Don't do that. God knows your motivation. Amen? God knows what you're doing. He's not dumb. He's God. Well, if I just... And He'll think, and then I'll give. And No, it doesn't work that way. And regardless of what all the televangelists try to tell you, that's not it. You know, he doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. Amen. He wants you. And it, when, he, when he has your heart, he'll have your money. You take it. Lord, it's yours anyway. Amen? Amen? And too often we make the mistake of trying to pursue the very things that will bring about separation from Almighty God and even destroy us in the end. This is the inheritance of the children of Gad according to their families, the cities and their villages. The last tribe, the half-tribe of Manasseh. Look what it says. Moses also had given an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manasseh. It was, the half, it was for half the tribe of the children of Manasseh according to their families. Their territory was Mahan, also Bashan, and the kingdom of Og, the king, king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jair, which are in Bashan, 60 cities, half of Gilead, Ashtaroth, Edri, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan, were for the children of Maker, the son of Manasseh, for half the children of Maker, according to their families. These are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. So when you look on that side, if you have maps in your Bible, you'll notice that to the very south was Reuben, above them was Gad, and above them was Manasseh. And this breaks my heart because when you look at the map, half of Manasseh is in Canaan, and half of Manasseh is outside of Canaan. And it broke my heart because I thought about families that are like that. Where half the family's on fire for God and seeking Him above all else, walking in the center of His will, and the other half is satisfied to stay in the world. The other half says it's com- more comfortable here. You go with God if you want to, but I'm staying here. You be on fire and serious about God if you want to, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to relax back here. It's more comfortable for me. You know, I, I, think bra- I know that breaks the heart of God. It's a tragic picture that west of the Jordan in the land of promise you have half of the tribe and the other half settled for less than God's highest. Truly a tribe divided 
by faith. Verse 33, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. Again, the Levites are the priestly tribe. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance as he had said to them. Their inheritance was and is the Lord. Now, all that being said, I even finished early. God's good, isn't he? You're all like, amen, these chairs are hard. All right. In closing, I want to say this. No doubt there are some here tonight that can identify with Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh. You say, you know what, I've been, I'm saved, I'm born again, I know I'm going to heaven. But you're right, I've been camping out in the world. I've been satisfied just being comfortable. I've not really wanted to give my life completely to the Lord. I've settled for less than God's highest. So what's the answer? How do we change that? Well, it's very simple, actually. The Bible tells us that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've heard me say it many times, but for the sake of you who might be new, the Holy Spirit is, has a threefold relationship with man. He's either with you before salvation, the world calls him their conscience, it's the reason they know right from wrong. How does the worst person on this planet know that there is at least some right and wrong? They know it because the Spirit is with all of us. But at salvation, the Holy Spirit goes from being with us to being in us. Now we're new creations in Christ. We're born again. He's stamped us. He's sealed us. He's assured us. Again, we know for sure we're going to heaven. It's the down payment. It's the stamp. It's the mark of redemption. That's how we know we're saved. Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But guess what? In Luke, it says he breathed the Spirit in them. And then he said, and go and wait. For not many days from now, the Holy Spirit shall come. What? Upon you. And you shall receive power from on high, and you shall be witnesses to me. What is it that, why are we fearful of witnessing? We lack the power of the Holy Spirit. Why are we fearful of stepping out in faith? We lack the power of the Holy Spirit. Why is it our lives are not more fruitful? Because we lack the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the good news. We don't have to crawl on our knees on glass to Mecca to get the Holy Spirit. We don't have to wait or tarry. We simply, the Bible says, ask. Can I tell you, and and just so you know, I pray every morning my first prayer, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit, because I know without Him I can do what? Nothing. And so that needs to be our heart, that Lord, fill me afresh. Not just, Lord, satisfied with the get out of hell free card. Not satisfied with conversion, but Lord, I want all of you in my life. Less of me and more of you. Filled to overflowing, pouring out on the world around me, impacting Santa Cruz, Holy Cross for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. So, worship team, you guys will come on up. Let's bow our heads and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. And we desire, Lord, above all else, that we be indwelt to overflowing with your spirit. That, Lord, we wouldn't just know a faraway, distant God. We'd have intimate and personal fellowship with the creator of the universe. Lord, I pray for any who are here who have never even understood what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray tonight that you just pour out your Spirit upon them. Lord, not for some emotional response, but Lord, for a transformed life. That our priorities would change, our passions would change, our desires would change. And so Lord, I just ask, Lord, for the sake of your kingdom that you might be glorified for nothing else, Lord, I ask, Lord, that you pour out your Spirit upon all who desire it. If that's your desire tonight, I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet so I can pray for you. Stand to your feet. Don't be ashamed.
Lord, you can see all who are standing who desire to be baptized, filled with, overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you in your word that we simply come and ask. And Lord, you promise to give it to us. And so, Lord, I pray less of us and more of you. Fill us, Lord, to overflowing with the Spirit of the living God. Lord, as you fill us, I pray, Lord, that there would be a greater love for you, a greater burden for the lost, a greater passion to reach out to the world that so desperately needs you. Father, I pray also that you would stir up the gifts that you've given us. Lord, every person here that's saved, you've given gifts. And Lord, I pray you'd stir up whatever those gifts are, that they might use them for your glory. Father, that we wouldn't be satisfied with the status quo in our walk anymore. Lord, that we wouldn't be satisfied with a cold or a lukewarm walk, but Lord, we desire to be hot for you. And Lord, we can't do this apart from you. And Lord, again, I want to stress, not an emotional decision, but Father, standing before you because we love you openly. And Lord, as we openly confess our need for more of you, I just pray and ask, pour out your spirit upon each and every one of us who's, who's standing here before you, myself included, Lord. More of you, less of me. Lord, through it, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Everybody stand. Let's close the worship song.